0: for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, I think most people agree that it should cost something to live in this great country that we live in. Um, everybody should pay their fair share. That's what we keep hearing. And the reason why I open it this way is because 57% of American households did not pay income tax last year. Now, that's an increase from about the 44% that it was the year before. And it was around 44% or 42% pre-COVID, around 44% of American households do not pay anything in income taxes. So you can continue to go after the billionaires and we can argue about what it does to the economy and who ends up paying the price for that anyway. And if you do that, um, you will see that you always end up paying. We raise the corporate income tax rate and we pay by losing jobs because they go to countries that have a different tax rate. Companies relocate so they don't have anything coming from this country as far as income taxes go. Um, And I will tell you, in all fairness, looking at the tax code, the whole thing should be revamped. We didn't have time to get into that. But if you look at our tax code, there. when someone says there are billion-dollar companies that aren't paying anything in income taxes, that may be absolutely true, and it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. But we have such a confusing tax code that accountants make a very nice living their entire lives trying to decipher the changes in the tax code instead of it just being simple. Fairness is simple, but in order to be fair – You're going to end up raising taxes because you have 44 percent of American households pay nothing, nothing in income taxes. And because of the tax credits and everything else in the checks that were written during covid, 57 percent of American households are not paying taxes, which means 43 percent of us are paying for everybody else's share of income taxes so when you turn around and hear this billionaire, we're going to go after the billionaires. Um, they want to tax the wealthy. They want a minimum 20 percent tax on billionaires. So the old adage in any form of government in, in America, whether it's, um, you know, the federal level or all the way down to the local level, is you tax what you want less of and you subsidize what you want more of. So why are we subsidizing poverty and why are we taxing wealth? When Arizona redid its tax structure and when Arizona decided they were going to make a concerted effort to go after business and industry and bring them to Arizona, look how things changed. People made started making a lot more money. There are high-paying jobs coming here. We didn't need to arbitrarily raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour because that's what people are getting paid because of the job market and what's out there. What's available, the skill set that you can learn and then work the rest of your life fulfilling is 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 remarkable right now in Arizona, Mississippi, the state of Mississippi just had had their biggest tax cut ever recorded. When you take less from individuals and businesses, you do better for everyone when you raise the corporate tax rate, when you raise taxes or close loopholes, whatever you want to call it. A tax cut is not giving anybody anything. It's taking less from them. And it's a very important distinction. When you keep hearing about the billions of dollars that the government is giving the oil companies, they're not giving them anything. They're committing to taking less from them. That's what tax cuts do. And when you say to a major corporation in Arizona, let's talk about it at the state and local level. When you say to a major corporation, we are going to work out a tax deal with you so that you pay less in taxes, but your commitment is going to be to a certain level. Everybody wins, but nobody likes to hear that because we don't like to, we don't like picking winners and losers and we don't like enriching millionaires. Well, you are picking winners and losers because when somebody makes a bunch of money, you demonize them. They could be good people. They could be benevolent people, philanthropic people. And I will be honest with you, the wealthy people that I know are that. I've, I've went to events recently and watched people raise lots of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars with the charity events that I'm able to go to, whether I'm in attendance or I'm the master of ceremonies for. We have philanthropic people in this valley that are very, very wealthy, and they write massive checks to charity. And anybody out there that doesn't understand that that's what wealthy people will do when you let them keep their wealth. But when it comes to business is, again, and when it comes to taxes, wouldn't you agree everyone should pay something? So why is there about 42 to 44 percent of American households that pay nothing in income tax? Well, if it was going to be a fair tax, our taxes would be simple. How much money did you make last year? How many kids do you have? This is what you owe in taxes based on what you made last year. Period. End of story. A deduction for children, maybe whatever. We get to deduct interest and clothing and meals and you can deduct part of this. And if you write your gas down, you can deduct that and keep your receipts and all this nickel and dime stuff. But in order to make it fair, you would be telling working class people in America, your taxes are going up and nobody wants to do that. Nobody dares to do that. It's political suicide. So what do we keep doing? The same old thing we've always done that doesn't work. When was the last time Clinton era in that era where we ever had anything close to a balanced budget? And that had a lot to do with the fact that Newt Gingrich and the the contract with America and some of the other things that were going on where it was negotiated. But we have such deficit spending in this country and there's no end in sight. And if you don't have a vested interest, why would you care? I guarantee you, if you told a working class family, here's the deal. You're going to pay 7%, 10% of your income. You make $30,000 a year. You're going to pay $3,000 a year in federal income taxes. That's, that's it. If you make 30 grand a year, that's going to be your income tax. I guarantee you, now that they're invested, they're going to start questioning. They're going to start asking, what is the government doing with my money? So imagine now if you make $300,000 a year, you pay 30 grand in taxes. If you make $3 million a year, you pay $300,000 in taxes. If everybody had to pay that percentage, like it is with anything else you buy, then we all would be paying more attention. And that's not what happens as long as we can be focused on this punish the rich attitude, which doesn't work. By the way, it doesn't work. This is very quickly. This is a CNBC report or just a piece of it on this proposal. This tax
1: is called the billionaire minimum income tax, but it actually applies to households with 100 million dollars or more in net worth. So that's roughly the top 20,000 households. It's really a two-part tax. The first part is a minimum tax of 20%. That's a minimum tax rate. So, they currently pay a tax rate of 12%, they would owe an additional 8% on their income. It also redefines income to include unrealized capital gains. So each year they would pay up to
0: 20% on the increase in the value of stock or a business even if they So now it's uh, when you are smart, they're going to tax you. That's the other part of this. That's amazing. So you invest well, or you have somebody that works for you that invests for you well, but you haven't sold the stocks, but their value has gone up. It's like property taxes. It's just one more way for them to dig into the pockets of people in America. And these are the job creators. But it should be all Americans with a healthy suspicion of our government. Instead, they have been able to divide us in these class warfare nonsense conversations. And, you know, I look at it this way. I'm not jealous of anybody else's success. I I want everybody to be successful. Everybody I work with, I get along with my coworkers. I want to see them, you know, I want to see them get paid. Because then it's going to be my turn. I want to be able to go to my bosses and say, here's where I stand in, in line with everybody else in this building. And if they're getting a big raise, now it's my turn. But I certainly don't begrudge anybody their success. And when you do, you become bitter. And that's what these kind of taxes are. It is, it is the idea of we are going to go after people because they have been successful. I think it is a horrible thing to do. I think that it is the wrong way for us to go because it hurts everybody. And this is going to be one more step, one more nail in the coffin when it comes to the possibilities of going into a recession. In a moment, uh, we are going to talk about the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, one candidate speaking out about a law. If it passes, she said, I won't enforce it. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, a big congratulations to Laura Prekel George from Phoenix. She won the $100 as part of our 100 days of giving here at KTAR. We are turning 100 years old very soon, and as we walk up to it, we're spending 100 days giving you 100 bucks every day during the week. We also then let you choose a charity. And we will give $100 to that charity as well. And she chose All About Animals as her charity of choice. For your chance to win and give $100 to a charity, you can just text the number 100 to 411923 923 That's 100 to 411923 um, 923 Candidate for Maricopa County's top prosecutors, she got her signatures in about a day. Her name is Jennifer gunnigal I'm sorry, Julie Gunigal. I said Jennifer. Julie Gunnigal. And uh, she ran against Alistair Adele and didn't lose by much when she ran against her. And she is now kind of the leading candidate with all of her signatures already. She's the only one that's qualified for the ballot so far. She made an interesting statement over the weekend. Um, she said, your county attorney should always be working in the interest of justice and prioritizing those cases to, that do justice for our country and our residents. Um, On Sunday Square Off, she said that um, if she were the uh, county attorney, that she would not enforce the abortion law, the 15-week abortion law that may pass in the state legislature. So this is affirmation, and wherever you stand on this issue, um, I think most people know where I stand, but wherever you stand on this issue, do you want an activist county attorney? Go the other way. Um, if uh, if she were saying, I'm not going to enforce her immigration laws. What if the IRS came out and said, Let's just fast forward to the people on the same side of the aisle as, uh, Julie Gunnigal. Um, let's say that, uh, the Republicans take over, um, in, in Washington, D.C. in, in 2022, and there's big tax reform plans that go into effect. And then the IRS says, we're not doing that. We're, we're not going to enforce those rules. We're not going to enforce capital gains taxes, which means as a taxpayer, it's still legal, legally, I mean, you know, technically, it's still against the law. To not file and pay capital gains taxes, but we're not going to enforce that. I, I decided that's an unfair tax, and I'm not enforcing it as the head of the IRS. You, wouldn't you say, wait a minute, that's not your job to decide what laws are enforceable to which aren't. You're supposed to enforce all the laws. You're the county attorney. You don't make the laws. You enforce them. She says, I won't enforce those laws. Does she have a right to do that? That's the question. That's the question. I want you to listen. This is her on on 12 News on Sunday Square Off. I, I believe it was with Bram Resnick.
1: Your county attorney should always be working in the interests of justice and prioritizing those cases that do justice for our county and our residents. And that means not prosecuting people for their health care decisions, including abortion.
0: Wouldn't that be ignoring the law?
1: Bram, let's not pretend that that's not happening right now. Your county attorney on every single day that they are in office makes decisions as to what is in the interests of justice, what is not, what to prosecute and use our limited county resources and what isn't worth it in the protection of the public. And I think we need to make a strong statement, not just that Arizonans won't support this but that it is a waste of resources to prosecute people for their health care decisions
0: so you would not prosecute any abortion cases
1: no not ever
0: so um, let's be honest with what they do in the office. And I don't agree with it. I've been a victim of it myself because of their limited resources. They base cases and how they will try cases, not based on whether or not the law was that big of a law that was broken or we like the law or we don't. The way they judge it is based on the expectation of conviction, that if they don't have the expectation that they are going to be successful in the case, they will plead it out or they won't try it. And that's the way it is. Whether you like it or not, that's where we are. We don't prosecute everyone that commits a crime because they, they don't have a likelihood because they don't have the manpower. If we truly wanted to make a commitment to justice, what we would do is we would have a lot more cops and we would have a lot more prosecutors and we'd have a lot more judges. And we would make sure if you, you knew if you committed a crime in Maricopa County, you were pretty, there was a better than fair chance that you were going to get caught. And if you get caught, there is a very good chance that you're going to get prosecuted for it and convicted. And there's a very good chance that when you get convicted, you're going to be severely punished for it. We'd see a reduction in crime. So the idea that because they're basing things because of the staffing in their office, that they are basing cases on the fact whether or not we like this law or this is a law we're going to enforce and this is one we're not. It is because of manpower they are deciding them based on the the ability to convict cases. So this is a political statement. You know where I stand on it. I'm just explaining what this is. And what it is, is an overtly political statement saying the legislature can pass all the laws they want to. The police can make all the arrests they want to. I will decide whether or not that crime deserves punishment. That's what she's doing. Now, you may agree with it. You may applaud her and donate to her campaign because she's standing up for um, for the uh, health care rights of women. I don't agree, but I also don't think that we are going to go, the, go in the other direction. Do you remember why Sheriff Joe Arpaio was run out of Maricopa County? He was run out of Maricopa County because the Maricopa County uh, voters got tired of paying for lawsuits that were against his office for the handling of immigration cases, which is why the federal government took over parts of that office. And that's what happened. And if, if this is the kind of leadership that the county attorney's office wants, whether it's this law or another one, because if she is going to choose this one as being bad, which ones will she choose as good? Which other laws will she say is unfair and we all have to stand up? It's a scary proposition. Coming up in a moment, we talk with the American Petroleum Institute. We talk about a survey that says 90% of Arizonans want energy independence. We'll discuss gas prices next. and thanks for being here. Gas prices, still the big talk with people. And what do we do about it? What is it that the American people want of their government? And what should we do to try to mitigate some of what's happened and the cause of the increased gas prices? Joining us right now from the American Petroleum Institute is uh, Frank Macchiarola. Uh, Frank, let's start with um, this poll that says nine out of 10 voters in Arizona said they want to see energy independence. Um, what went into that study? What were some of the deeper things you found?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, So, you know, I think what the poll shows is that the vast, overwhelming majority of Arizona voters want to develop our own resources here in the United States for energy. Uh, They understand that the current situation in Europe uh, shows just how important energy security is. Uh, they see the United States as being less reliant on foreign countries than Europe is, and that being a strategic advantage for the U.S. And so they understand that to maintain that strategic advantage, we need to keep producing our own energy right here at home,
0: even when there, and I've talked about a balance, even that there are people that believe we should be working hard at getting toward electric vehicles and alternative forms of energy. We are still going to have a reliance on petroleum products. And it doesn't make sense to me that we give over the responsibility of production, refinement and shipping to other nations that seem to be far less qualified than the U.S. at pulling it out of the ground, refining it and shipping it in a, in an environmentally conscious way.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, for too long in the United States, a lot of these policy debates have boiled down to an either or uh, conversation rather than a both conversation. We can have domestic production of oil and gas here in the United States and drive our emissions down at the same time and address the climate challenge that we face. It's not a question of one or the other. In fact, our industry has been part of the solution in helping drive down emissions in the power sector through the greater use of natural gas. And so what I think policymakers ought to be doing is focusing on the today and addressing the situation in terms of how we can help our allies overseas by getting more natural gas from the United States to Europe, but also addressing the future, how we can continue to drive emissions down and move to a low and zero carbon emissions economy down the road.
0: If uh, if we were, let's say the White House uh, changed their policies dramatically and they opened the door to more production in the U.S., how long would it take the petroleum industry to get up and running again so that we had energy independence in the U.S.?
1: Look, our industry is moving on producing more oil and gas here in the United States. If you look coming out of the covid pandemic. Demand dropped significantly during that period of time, and so did supply. And so as demand has come back, supplies are coming back as well. And so we, uh, the EIA, the independent agency within the Department of Energy, estimates that we're going to have an increase of a million barrels of production this year. We're seeing record high levels of production in the Permian Basin. Rig counts have significantly increased year over year. So we're, Coming back in terms of production But we're not there yet And so in order for uh, This supply demand imbalance To be fixed We need to do more here In the United States to incentivize Greater production of our energy
0: The President's commitment to Europe And and, uh, natural gas uh, What does that do to the American supply If we are going to up our supply and, And exports into Europe to help them Offset their costs
1: It just shows how important uh, U.S. LNG is. We are the leading exporter now of natural gas. We've gone above Australia and Qatar uh, to become the leading exporter of LNG. Uh, This really helps in many ways. So first, it provides more natural gas to our allies in Europe. Europe relies heavily on Russia for its natural gas. We need to work with the EU to drive that reliance down so we can strengthen our allies and weaken uh russia uh, who's trying to use this energy as a weapon against ukraine the second thing it does is it create jobs here in the united states the job creation as a result of the shale revolution here in the united states has been really significant we have uh, as an industry We create, we we uh, provide uh, or support more than 11 million jobs in the economy. So from that standpoint, it's a benefit for the United States. It's also an environmental benefit. As we export more natural gas to our allies, we help them achieve their targets of reducing their emissions. So for a whole host of reasons, it's very important that we export natural gas from the United States.
0: When do you see and what is it going to take to see a significant drop in gas prices? How soon and what will it take? Yeah, I I
1: can't uh, predict what's going to happen with respect to gas prices. But what I can tell you is supply and demand will rebalance itself as we see increased production. Um, So, you know, I think it's it's very important that the administration – Promotes the development of oil and gas here in the United States. That they promote the investment that's necessary to bring oil and gas development to market. Uh, and I think, you know, it's in, it's incumbent upon all of us uh, to uh, really weigh in with policymakers and tell them just how important it is that we uh, produce more of our energy here in the United States. Look, looking out into the next. 30 years, uh, experts tell us that the world and the United States is going to be using oil and natural gas. In fact, it's going to be the primary source of energy globally. The real question is whether more of that oil and gas is going to come from the United States or whether it's going to come from hostile regimes like Russia. Russia. It's so important that policymakers here in this country get this question right. And I see and I think that's what's reflected here in the polling numbers. The vast majority of voters in Arizona recognize that energy security is critical for the United States uh, and for our national security. And so, you know, I, I encourage them to weigh in with their policymakers, with the administration to make sure we're promoting Uh, U.S. oil and natural
0: gas. I've uh, maintained throughout this entire conversation as we've watched gas prices go up over the last year as consumers that America is the best qualified to do it environmentally safely, pull it out of the ground, refine it and ship it. Is that true? Are we the best country at this?
1: We are uh, among the most we have among the highest standards uh, of environmental Um, regulation here in the United States. Our industry takes this issue very seriously, Uh, both from an environmental standpoint and an emission standpoint. You know, our industry is continuously improving uh, in this space to make sure that we're developing responsibly the resources that we have uh, for the American people and for the consumer, Uh, Look, in a lot of ways, it's our license to operate. The better that we get at this, uh, the more the American people will recognize that U.S. oil and natural gas is a solution, not just to our economic growth and our national security, but also to the environmental challenges that we face.
0: Frank, I really appreciate the time today. It was such an interesting poll, and I appreciate you coming on and talking to the Arizona audience about it.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: That is Frank Maciolaro. He is uh, with the the American uh, uh, Petroleum Institute. It was a fascinating. And you can't get ninety percent of Arizonans to agree that it's hot outside some days. And uh, it was an interesting study that showed that ninety percent of us want energy independence, and we all understand how important it is to be energy independent. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about the White House and what they are doing to clean up after the comments that the president made in Europe regarding. Vladimir Putin. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, it's very simple to do. You can do it on any one of your devices and never miss a minute of the show again. It is the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get the most money selling your home for cash at highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. So... Uh, the president made some statements in a speech in Warsaw that set off a firestorm. But right now, let's focus on what's happening in Ukraine. We now know that there are so many displaced people that are now uh, around the world, but we're seeing a lot of them in Poland. And we are seeing the Ukrainian people crying out and saying that our country is being destroyed by the Russians. So we want help from the West. They are asking for air support. They're asking for the, cl- the skies to be shut down. One of the things that happened during the president's speech in in, in Poland when he gave the speech in Warsaw, our president, at the end of the speech, they were chanting, close the skies. There has been an offer from the Polish to give the Polish people to give up their their MiG fighter jets to the Ukrainians via the U.S. And the U.S. would then give uh, F-16s to Poland in replacement. That deal was said no to and still is being said no to by the U.S. government. You've heard President Zelensky has been saying over and over again um, how important it is that the people of Ukraine have the air uh Support they need. He said, "You can see we're winning on the ground. We are winning on the ground." I want you to hear a little bit of what the president said. Um, and this was what was he said in Warsaw at the during the um, the speech that set off such a firestorm worldwide.
1: Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. For free people, refused. To live in a world of hopelessness and darkness, we will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principles, hope and light,
0: of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. This man cannot remain in power. The president was asked by media uh, if he was looking for regime change. He said no. Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, said there is no plans for regime regime change, but the Russian people or the Russian government is already capitalizing it with with its with its own people. The Russian government is now going to use this, and this is where the propaganda the propaganda comes in. He will then take this, and he has taken this, and he will take that speech. In Warsaw and not make it just about Joe Biden. It's not just going to be the U.S. is the evil empire here. It is NATO. If you go back a few weeks, because this has now gone on for a little over a month. Go back a few weeks, and what Vladimir Putin said was a couple of different things. First of all, the invasion into Ukraine, they were actually freedom fighters. There are separatists area, separatist areas in Ukraine that he meant to keep them peaceful because the Ukrainians were going to damage or kill those people that were separatists. They were there to protect them. They were freedom fighters. The other thing he said is that NATO had a plan to invade via Ukraine. They were going to invade Russia. That NATO is the evil uh, uh, oppressors, that the NATO countries are the ones that want to destroy Russia. So now you've got the 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 figurehead of NATO and the president of the United States giving a speech in Warsaw, Poland and saying that the, this man cannot remain in power. Well, I guarantee you that that speech has been blasted all over Russian media, Russian state media, telling the Russian people, this is what we were talking about. This is what NATO's plan is. NATO's plan is to come in here, take out Vladimir Putin and, and overthrow this government. Now, the Western world that sees the totality of what's going on, that sees the indiscriminate attacks on, on civilians and the destruction of cities like Mariupol and others we see the murderous things that are that are happening but the people of russia don't if we are trying to change the hearts and minds of the russian people what is said and how it's said matters And it's fair no matter who the president is. When we talked about a U.S. president, if you remember, there was this big go back to the Bush administration, the mission accomplished on the aircraft carrier. And what a horrible thing that was to say. And we haven't won anything. And it was seen as a big mistake in his administration. And the media blew it apart and said, you're the president of the United States. You can't say things like that when you do, when you make a mistake. It's a worldwide mistake. And it's a mistake made by the nation. Just not by one person. Well, how big was this mistake? How big is this mistake in the peace process? Because as Ukraine continues to stand up and damage the Russian military, as we see more and more of their troops are are giving up or dying, abandoning their equipment. There is a story about a a Russian soldier who gave up his tank for ten dollars and an agreement for Ukrainian citizenship. He just surrendered his tank, gave it over. So we understand that as brutal as this fight is and the casualties that the Ukrainian people are facing, they are inflicting great damage. There's another story about how they are using um, they are using trick tactics to ambush and get military aircraft from Russia in so that they can do damage from the ground that they're luring them in. And a lot of their tactics are working. But if we don't have a pathway to peace, this is going to be a long, drawn out, bloody and deadly fight. And having things said like this by the president, not helpful, is not helpful at all. Going to talk about inflation, specifically other things than fuel and how it's affecting your family in a moment.